you doing? Welcome to Calvary Chapel, Chapel Hill. If this is your first time with us, lovely to have you with us. Um, if you do not have a Bible, we love the old school paper Bibles here, um, raise your hand and not only will an usher bring one over to you, but an usher with a really good haircut um, will bring you. Let's just, we got it, that haircut. It just looks so good. So good. All right. And for those of you who may become ushers, a new haircut is not a requirement for being an usher, just so you know that. Uh, so a few things. One, it was just such a sweet, blessed time to worship with y'all. And it is such a treat up here because this is a church that really sings. And every single time, it's just like a taste of what it's going to be like in eternity when we're all singing to our king. So it really is Truly special. Uh, the women's retreat Friday night went well. They had a lovely time. Beautiful blessings all around. Um, fell in love with my boo-boo all over again. Just so excited for how that went. There's some great little pictures so you can see worship through the decades. Um, and Linda gave some beautiful words for the ladies. And Pastor Jeff and Leslie just did a beautiful job with worship. And it was truly just a really, really uh, special time. I was happy to kind of be crashing doing sound back there because I was like, this is good stuff. Um, men, don't forget though, men, you're not left out. Uh, I sent an email out to the men. Please make sure that you check that. Uh, I got to know by I've, Tuesday what folks, uh, what works study-wise and other things like that so we can get everything kicked off the week of October 9th for that. And I also realized two years ago, Today was my first time being at the Deep South Men's Conference in Lexington, South Carolina. So make sure, if you have not signed up yet, do it or else. And uh, at the table out there, there is uh, registration. If you've already registered, get your name on there because I'm going to form a group communication. But it really, it is a blessed time. Those two years ago, I remember the brother that I drove down with, the fellowship that we had and the friendship that formed from that still carries till this day, and it was just such a blessing to be able to have time together, pray together, and be together. So please, please, it's exciting, and, and just be mindful of that. Other thing, want to ask everyone to keep Pastor David in prayer. We're missing our all-star guitarist, and spiritual daddy missed him. Um, he's got COVID, he's on the mend, but we just, let's just keep him in prayer, and you know, the timing, I'm grateful it's now and not when he's headed off to India um, in, in a few weeks. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the time that we can come together, that we can be in your word, Lord God. Heavenly Father, we do lift up Pastor David and Michelle to you, Lord God, and just um, pray for continued recovery for Pastor David, Lord, and just uh, thank you that Michelle hasn't gotten anything, Lord. Just keep that and keep this precious couple, Lord, that means uh, just so much to all of us here, Lord God. And Heavenly Father, we thank you now for this time where we can focus on your word. And Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would help all to remain focused on you, that we would put aside the distractions, and that we would take this time to just focus on you, that we can receive what you have for us this day. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, we pondered the question, Art Thou Humble? And that was the title of last week's message. And with that, we had that big charge, he must increase, I must decrease. Now, the charge that we had from last week, just checking in, you do your check. How are you doing on searching your motives? What's your motivation for what you're doing and why you're doing it? Is it about you or is it about him? How are you doing with thinking about where must you decrease? 
Where must you humble yourself more? Husbands, wives, grandparents, teens, how are you doing in the season of life that you're in with that humility, with that calling to make sure God is first? And I also charged us to think about where are you increasing and making God decrease in your life? Where are the areas where sin has crept in? Where are the areas where you're more important than the Savior? Because we can't have that. When we see John's example, we have to empty ourselves continually. God's got to be the first priority. Is God truly the first priority for you and end all? Is Jesus enough? Is the word of God enough? These are essential questions that we need to continually Seek and ask as we refine by his glory, as we let the word do what I've been telling us, embrace the conviction of the word of God. Because he loves us, he's going to chasten us. What father doesn't do that? So we need to be mindful of that and continually seeking to grow for his glory alone. Now today we're going to finish the encounter with John and his disciples. And remember, they came because they were having this dispute with the rulers and they found out that there's competition going on and there's comparison going on and they got to let John know, dude, the guy that you talked about, Jesus, he's cooler than you now. He's more popular than you. What are you going to do? You're losing your following. And we're going to see the rest of this response from John. Now, it's interesting because the portion of scripture that we're going to be looking at this morning, there is amongst some Bible scholars debate. Some will say it's not John the Baptist, it's John the author of the epistle, and they go back and forth, some folks, on who says that. To them, I want to remind them, and if anybody here is in that camp, 2 Timothy 3, 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. We can't forget the one author is God. Because I think those types of things, what ends up happening is we lose sight sometimes of the true focus. And we get in the man box, what I like to call, where we have to put things in a way that we like it, that it makes sense to us. And when we do that, we often end up limiting what God can do. Because we put God in a box that we're comfortable with. We say, this is how I want to believe this because it, it doesn't force me to have to take any more faith or do anything differently. Now, for youth group, who I have spent some time with in the last two years, remember, this is also one of those moments where context matters. If we look at the context of this passage, it's clear, in my humble opinion, John the Baptist is still speaking with his group. And then when you move into chapter 4 and see that therefore, the therefore is tied to everything that came before it, which is the same account from John the Baptist. So authorship aside, God is the author. But what does this second half of John's response entail? The title of today's message is Unto Him. And I promise we're not going to stay in old school English with all the titles of late because we had Art Thou Humble, Unto Him. But in this passage, we're going to ponder different realities pertaining to the supremacy and goodness of our King, Jesus. Unto him is given all dominion. Unto him is shown a faithful witness or testimony. That word witness or testimony, we're going to see it in this gospel 47 times. 
Because this, we, we have witnesses that are giving testimonies of him, and we have Jesus' own testimony of himself. Unto him is given the word of God for man. Unto him is given authority and power without limit from the Holy Spirit. Unto him is given the way that all could have eternal life. Unto him, as we'll see in chapter 4 at the well, is a heart for the despised. So as we see this, these are all ideas about our king that we're going to see this morning, about our almighty authority of King Jesus. Now, the reality is when we all sit here, only God knows your current state. Only God knows where you are emotionally right now. Only God knows where you are physically right now. Only God knows where you are relationally right now. Only God knows even where you are financially. Whatever is going on in your life beyond the time that we all gather here, only God knows the depth of it. And I want us to take the things that are heavy on us right now, cast it aside for this moment, and just focus as much as you can on dwelling in the presence of realizing that the one who's given so much, the one who has all authority, Jesus King, who we're going to see in this passage, is the one that you have communion and fellowship with if you've believed and received. So rest in that. Let yourself rest in that. Now, in the continuation of John's talk, remember, what did they want him to focus on? Popularity contest. And we saw so clearly last year, he humbled, not last year, last week, he humbled himself oh so finely within that moment. And in this passage today, we're going to see how he points to the eternal perspective at the end of what John says. Because again, what is it all about? Eternity with our king. It's all about eternity with our king. So stand with me. Let's read John chapter 3, verses 31 to, and we'll just go to 36 for right now. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. And what he has seen and heard, that he testifies. And no one receives his testimony. He who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God does not give the Spirit by measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, Lord. I just pray right now that we can truly look to these words to re remind ourselves of who you are, Lord. Remind ourselves of your authority, your greatness, your perfection. Holy Spirit, I ask that you fill me, help me to get out of the way that the words that come out are just what you need for the people here, for your people here, Lord. And for the one here who is created by you but not yet your child, that they may come to believe and receive the gift of your grace and mercy this day. Be with us in this place, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. So verse 31, he who comes from above is above all, and he who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. John right now, right here, he's laying the comparison between he and Jesus. John's birth and being on this earth versus Jesus' birth and being 
from heaven. Jesus has that different birth than what John has. And he's pointing to that. He's aware of that. John's earthly origin, guess what? It's limited. But he juxtaposes that with Jesus's pre-existence, which is limitless. We see it in the very beginning of this book in John 1.1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. We can't forget as we go through this gospel that very important piece of the beginning. Because Jesus is God. He has been present there, pre-existent. Now we see he who comes from above is above all. Jesus is the one who comes from above. Jesus isn't just some cool dude that's got some really great powers that he can do. He is different than all. We sang that even today, Jesus' name above all other names. The debate and concern that they have about Jesus' popularity, John says, guys, stop at this point. He's talked about that humility, and now he's saying, Jesus is from heaven. He is the only one from heaven. Jesus, none of us were born from heaven. Jesus is not only different in that he is born from heaven, guess what? He's greater because he is above all. Not he is above some, he is above all. And if we go back a little bit, if you look at John 3, 13, no one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the son of man who is in heaven. Remember, we saw that passage. We saw the way Jesus himself reminds that. I came from heaven. Jesus stays consistent with his testimony. Are we shocked? I think not. But again, as I've said when we're looking at David, as we were looking at John the Baptist, and as we look at our mighty Savior, look at the consistencies, and then hold up the mirror. Where are you consistent? Where are you inconsistent? Where do there need to be some shifts? Jesus would also speak of this if we turn to John chapter 6. He would remind again of where he comes from, and it would be part of what infuriates the religious leaders. John 6, verse 35. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven. He just owns it right there. I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at that last day. See that consistency. We're going to see the same. It's on repeat almost as you go through this precious gospel. He reminds, I've come down from heaven. I'm only about doing the Father's will. And in doing the Father's will, my purpose is that people will believe and have everlasting life. And then verse 41. The Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread of life which came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it that he says, I have come down from heaven? So we're seeing this idea of coming down from heaven, it causes problems for people. They don't like this idea, particularly the Jewish rulers at the time, because guess what? If he's got that authority, that means we don't have that authority. And they like control. They like being in control. 
It's a portrait of also ourselves before Christ. Because guess what? If you're here and you don't know Christ, you're just like them, saying, I need to have control. I need to be in control of everything. John acknowledges in this verse that he is limited in what he can see and know because he only has the ability to see and know earth and what God commands him. Jesus is from heaven. He's from the Father. He represents the Father. You reject Jesus, you're rejecting God the Father. You're rejecting the fact that Jesus is limitless. Jesus is all-knowing. Jesus is above all. Jesus, the name that we call upon, our King, He is above all. Saints, do you remind yourself of that when you're praying? Do you realize when you pray, when you worship, don't let it become something that's autopilot. Don't let your prayer time be autopilot. Do you realize when you're going to prayer, you're praying to the King of Kings who is above all, and he hears you. Can that not just, wow, the King of Kings, he hears you. We need to remember that. How do I know heaven is real? I know heaven is real because my Savior and King, who I have a relationship with through the word of God, is from there. That's how I know. It's tangible. It's concrete. Verse 32. And what he has seen and heard, that he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. What he has seen and heard, that he testifies. We have to remember the seeing and hearing of what Jesus saw and heard and who and how he testifies There's an important fact that we can't forget. We saw it in verse 11 of chapter 3. Most assuredly, this is Jesus, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. It's our, why? Triune God, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we see it in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then we see the Spirit hovering over the earth. Jesus is there, preexistent. We need to remember that in the context of what he has seen and heard and what he's testifying of. Because it's a lot that he's testifying of. It is everything. He's God. The seen and heard, it's two concrete actions. And remember, we, I just uh, had the beginning. Within the beginning was the word. Then verse 14 in John 1. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then verse 18 of chapter 1, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Now go back to what we were just talking about a moment ago. Prayer, your worship time, your time in the Word. The one that we go to, Jesus, was in the bosom of the Father. And we get to have relationship with him. Now the second portion of this verse says that no one receives his testimony. Again, testimony, 47 times you'll see it. You can start a little word count if you want for fun. But in this, John is prophetically pointing to the rejection that Christ will endure, the rejection that will come. And guess what? It's a reminder for us that it is a timeless truth that people will reject Christ. It's a timeless truth. They will reject Christ. Now, in our time, as they're rejecting, what do we need to do? Pray that those rejecting would receive salvation. Pray that they would humble themselves enough to say, I need a savior. The testimony of Christ bears witness 
to the counsels and the purposes of God. That's why Jesus' testimony, his witness, is essential. Verse 33. He who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. He that receives his testimony. Receiving his testimony, that's a personal experience. Receiving his testimony, that becomes our testimony. When we looked at Nicodemus and the story of being born again, we talked about how you need to tell your birth story in Christ to people. You need to be sharing. You need to be telling them. The parents of our new birth are the word of God and the spirit of God. The word of God and the spirit revealing the word, bringing conviction unto us that we become his new creations. Now, to certify here means to seal. Culturally at that time, even if people couldn't read, when they saw that seal, they knew it meant official ownership and it expressed a person's personal guarantee. They knew that. And that's what happens when the testimony is received. If you get Jesus' testimony, believe, receive, certifies, God is true. And guess what else that means? All his promises are true. Guess what that means? The promises to come to Israel are important. I love Wednesday night. We pray for Israel. We need to be praying for Israel. We need to be mindful of God's promises yet to come and to commit that to prayer. Because if God is true, which he is, everything in here is true. And the prophecy yet to come is true. Now, if you reject that, you're not just doing the cultural thing, nafam. That's for you, youth. Nafam. That's not what you're just doing. There's more that's going on there. If you don't believe, if you don't receive, if you reject, you're saying God isn't true, which in turn is saying God is a liar. Turn with me to 1 John 5.10. First John 5.10. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. Believe, you receive witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. So this idea of rejecting, you're saying the God of in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, which is why when PD taught us Genesis, it was so apt to realize that first verse. If you can't take the first verse of the Bible, the rest of it's going to be real hard to digest for you. You've got to be able to take that first thing. But it is saying, I don't believe, you're calling God a liar. You're calling him a liar. And guess what? There are present and eternal consequences to that. And again, we're now in that place where we're hitting that reality of the duality. You're either gods or you're not gods. And I think every single one of us could think of someone we know in our lives right now rejecting Christ. And we saw it last week. They condemned themselves in that through that rejection. I talked about that last week. Well, how could you worship a Jesus who sends people to hell? Hold the phone. He doesn't send people to hell. They reject. They condemn themselves. But for us with the whole counsel of the word of God, guess what? We need to be praying. We need to be sharing. We need to be going forth with the word of God, putting it in front of people and letting it be that double-edged sword. How are you doing with that, saint? Truly, how are you doing 
Are you continuing to pray for that person who is lost? Are you continuing to pray for salvation for them? Jesus is patient. Jesus is long-suffering. We need to be too. Because also we have to realize you're calling God a liar when you reject him. But our culture today, lies don't mean much. Everybody lies. It's not a big deal. You expect me to tell the truth? Come on. That's the culture. So even more so, we who have the truth stand up and use it for his glory. Now, another important lesson about Jesus's witness and God being true. The relationship with Jesus, the relationship with the word of God can't just be an intellectual pursuit. It can't just be an intellectual pursuit. Too often, it becomes a pursuit of the mind and there's no heart. Yet, I believe, I know, Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Mark 12, 30. Now, if we're called to love with all our heart, we can't intellectualize it. Now, I'm not saying don't study, don't try to understand or know anything about God, but are you more focused on following the PhD papers with an empty heart or are you focused on actually following the word of God? and allowing the word of God to do what it does so well. For when we over-intellectualize it, guess what? The relationship gets numb. When we over-intellectualize it, guess what? We place limits on God. We place limits on God, and we have it all in the world of theology. There's lots of big fancy words that mean lots of things about the faith, that many of them are man saying, okay, God, I got to put you in this box, so I'm going to put an ism at the end of it, and now that's the theology that everybody should follow. We can't do that. We can't do that. Don't intellect it. Obey it. Obey the word of God and put it into practice. This is the living power of Jesus, the word of God. That's what we need, his word, his spirit, his way. That's what it starts, his word. Think about the wonder that the word of God is. Only God could take these 66 books, have them so in line the way he, only God. What else do we need? But we need to obey it. We need to live it. Verse 34. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God did not give the spirit by measure. God sent Jesus. Jesus speaks his word. Jesus has the Holy Spirit given to him from God with no limits, not by measure. Now, John's disciples, they'd be familiar, and if we study the Old Testament as we all should, Old Testament check, make sure we realize the Holy Spirit then was just given at certain points for certain things, for certain tasks. Here, we see without measure. The Holy Spirit given without measure. That's our Jesus. That's our King. What does it mean for us? John 1, 33. When John the Baptist presents, Behold, the Lamb of God, we saw, I did, not, I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, that beautiful moment, remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus has the Holy Spirit without limit. And then guess what? 
when we believe and receive, the Holy Spirit comes upon us and we have access without limit. We have access without measure. And then we have to then say, okay, well, what do we know of the Holy Spirit? Turn to John chapter 14. Because Jesus provides a new covenant. And guess what? The Holy Spirit is in us upon salvation. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. Do not neglect him. Now turn to John 14, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. I think that's always very, very vital to remember when we talk about the Holy Spirit. Because there's a lot, and I've said this a lot of times, there's a lot going on with the Holy Spirit in our culture right now, in the, in the greater church. Some will say the Holy Spirit, and then suddenly I go like this, and everybody rises and screams, and it's a big spectacle. And then some, the Holy Spirit's gone. We don't talk about the Holy Spirit. The gifts are over. There are no gifts of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit can't do anything. Everyone take a breath, and let's just look at the Word of God and let the Word of God speak. First, if you love me, keep my commandments. Guess what? First key to the Holy Spirit, Word of God. You've got to be in the Word of God. You've got to be dwelling in the Word of God. And you've got to keep the Word of God. Then we see, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. That's a gift. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. So we love, we obey, we're doing the word of God and the Holy Spirit is in us, dwells in us and is a helper. I've shared before, that's that moment you're talking to someone about the Lord and suddenly you are quoting so many Bible verses and you're like, I never memorized these, what is going on? That's the Holy Spirit filling you and bringing the word of God forth that you can be used for God's glory. Then we see verse 18. Uh, we did verse 18, sorry. And verse 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So do you see that again? He's bringing to remembrance all things. Do you see the tightness of the word of God and the Holy Spirit? You want to understand the word of God more? Holy Spirit, fill me that I can understand the word of God more. That's what he's there for, helper, comforter. Then we see the special moment in Acts chapter 1. If we turn there, flip a few more pages. Verse 8, and it'll be up there. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witness to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So the Holy Spirit, our helper, our comforter, our guide, our teacher, also fills us with power. Now notice what this power filling was for. To go and be witness in Jerusalem, all of Judea, Samaria, and the end of the earth. Guess what? It wasn't all cupcakes for them when they went to spread the word of God. It was not. But you know what? The Holy Spirit gave them the power to do it. The Holy Spirit is who filled Stephen up that he could take the beating with the rocks upon him that we see later on in Acts and be saying, Father, forgive them. What man can do that? No, that's the Holy Spirit dwelling within. And that's where we need to remember that. When we need that power, when we need that strength to endure what God has us in, seek him. 
and seek the Holy Spirit, give me the strength to endure this. Give me the strength, give me your power to fulfill your will on my life. So with that, the catch there with the Holy Spirit that we have access to, you actually have to commune with him. And again, this is another case where we can intellectualize it and we quench him. We ignore him. Because we say, well, this can't really happen or you can't really do that. Or on the other end, we abuse him. We tag his name on things that are nothing to do with him. What are we doing with this precious gift that Jesus gives us access to? The Holy Spirit comes up. And when it does, the thing that many people, and I I should do a survey, when you hear the Holy Spirit, many people, the first thing they go to is tongues. Because it's like, oh my goodness, tongues. Guess what? If you look at the gifts when we look at them in Corinthians, it's the last one that's mentioned, friends. I'm not saying that that's not something that if the Lord gives you conviction to pray for, yes. But guess what? It's the last thing. And guess what? There's a really set biblical order to how it goes down. It's not just a crazy wuka wuka show. There's a really set order to how this goes down. So it's important for us to remember that because the Holy Spirit, teacher, helper, comforter, paraclete, I can't wait till we get to John 14 in maybe a year. No, I'm kidding. But the Holy Spirit is one we need to seek more. And guess what? Where do we seek him? The word of God. That's when you open the word and you say, Holy Spirit, help me to understand this. And he will. He will. Lean on the Holy Spirit, saints, and start asking him to guide you in the word of God. Because guess what? You can't separate the Holy Spirit from the word. You just can't. You can't. Verse 35. The father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. So we saw when the conversation happened with Nicodemus that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Guess what else? God loves the son. And he's given all things into his hand. Jesus has all authority. You reject him, you're rebelling against the one with all authority. Just a little newsflash there. But all means all. It means everything. Every iota, every single thing, all. There is not one thing that is not under his authority. And Jesus reminds us of that if we turn to Matthew before the, the commission, Matthew 28. And if you don't turn there, we know many of us know this. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Bam. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Do we see how when the authority comes up of Jesus, it's somehow always tied to the main purpose, the word of God going forth, people knowing the word of God, people receiving, people believing, the authority, the power is so that one can have communion with him. All has been given into his hands. Everything that you could think back, if I say the big C word, COVID, that brings back many memories for many people and lots of different feelings and lots of different things. If we think about the racial wars where we forget that God made one race human and we get lost on all this other stuff, we think about the gender battles, we think about personal sickness that you might be going through right now, physical pain that you might be going through right now, whatever you're going through right now, where you feel like, You're sifting, you're shaking, and everything is so hard. Do you get lost in all of that 
Are you lost in what happened this morning before you came to church? Or are you remembering all authority has been given to Jesus? Which means Jesus, who is my Lord, Jesus, who has made me a child of God, Jesus, who is preexistent, Jesus, who gives the Holy Spirit to fill me that I can be empowered and to endure and to remember and to understand his word, that Jesus, who's my king, all of this is in his hands. Do you rest in that? Do you rest in his perfection? Do you rest in that goodness? All is in his hands. Now, that doesn't mean we don't cry out to God. Because guess what? We see in the Psalms, what does David do repeatedly? He's crying out to God. He's saying, why God? He's saying, how God? Now, oftentimes when we say the why and how, I don't know that we always even understand what we mean when we're saying why or how. And there's times where we don't hear because guess what? God loves us and knows you're not going to understand it. And sometimes there's the what's going on now and Romans 8.28 realized 15 years later when you look back and you're like, whoa, that's how that happened. You're using this for your glory and goodness because it's not about poof, magic wand, you're healed, everything's perfect. No, guess what? Your father may love you so much that you may go through a trial that may take your life. What? You're with him for eternity. His ways are better. Period. Turn to Psalm 13. This is a great psalm. We've studied it. I won't make someone who's here Wednesday nights give the nutshell on it, but we've studied this psalm together. Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? If you feel woe, if you feel trial, if you feel, oh, please just turn right to this psalm moving forward. Because that's what David's going through in that moment. That's what he's feeling. He feels like he's forgotten by God. He feels like God is far away. He feels like, where are you, Father? What is going on? Consider and hear me, O Lord, my God, enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed against him. Let those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. So he starts with the pain. He starts with the woe. He starts with the cry out to God. Then he asks God, consider me. Hear me, O Lord. Enlighten my eyes. That needs to be our prayer and trials. Enlighten my eyes. Lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I've prevailed against him. Because he doesn't want God's glory to be taken away. We see in an earlier psalm that his glory is God's. You're my glory, he says. So when we look at this, it's that reminder to us. When that trial comes, when that hardship comes, when the difficulty comes, we can go to God. That's who we should go to first. When we remember the assurance of who he is and that all is in his hands, whatever you're going through is in his hands. Why are you picking up the phone and writing a post on social media? Get on your knees and pray. Why are you finding a book or something other than the word of God to minister to you? None of that is, it's not in their hands. It's in his hands. And then we look, we see verse 5. But I have trusted your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. That's a shift. 
And we talked when we looked at the psalm. At that moment, it's not like he doesn't still feel like this is horrible, Lord. But in that moment, he gets over his feelings and he focuses on faith. That's what we all need to do. Because he was taking counsel in his soul. The soul is the emotions. If you take counsel on that, you're going to be a hot mess. And you're going to be the poster child for everything that the world to take this, take this, do this, do that, take this pill, take this thing, go here, take a shot, look at this. No, take counsel in the word of God. And then verse six, I will sing to the Lord because he's dealt bountiful with me. He's going to praise him. Now, what's fascinating with this is within that whole psalm, Jesus isn't on the scene yet, folks. And that's what's been boggling my mind as we're going through psalms. We have Jesus. We have the word of God. What's our excuse to not have this faith? What's our excuse to not worship? Psalms is reminding me so much why worship is essential. The men, you've got your family worship packet. Get on it. Start worshiping as a family. We worship as a church. We lift him up because when we worship, we see his character. We see who he is. Saints, when you can't understand the why, of what's going on in your life, do you remember his authority and trust? Do you take your why and pivot it to trust? Trust Jesus, trust his authority, it's all in his hands. Jesus is Lord. Do not forget it. Relish in it, live in it. God loves the world and he loves his only begotten son that we have everlasting life, that we can trust because it's all in his hands. Saints, rest in Jesus's perfection. Rest in it. Rest in it. Because guess what? The world, imperfect. Us, really imperfect. Jesus, perfect. In a trial, you're overwhelmed. You're nervous about whatever. Rest in his perfection. Rest that you're able to rest in the one who has all authority. It's in his hands. Verse 36, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. Now, when we think about everlasting life, we often think about eternity. I can't wait for eternity to come. We sing that song, I can't wait for eternity. That is going to be a beautiful moment for us. But guess what? Right now, if Jesus is your Savior and Lord, you have everlasting life now in the present. Realize that. Remember it. We're his. We can't be snatched from him. You can't lose that moment of beautiful salvation. The enemy can try to do what he's going to do. He can get you off course, but you can't lose it. Now, that also points out something, though. Those who don't believe shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on them. The wrath of God is abiding on them. Wrath, it's the only time we see it in John's epistles or this gospel. We'll see it a bunch in Revelation. But we saw that concept in John 3, 18, when he talked about they're already condemned. They're already, it's a present tense thing. How is it so? The wrath is on them. Because basically the verdict, it's given. The sentence has not been executed yet, but the verdict is given. Why hasn't the sentence been executed yet? Turn to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. 2 Peter 3, 9, and it's up there if you can't turn there. 
the Lord, and this is 2 Peter 3.9, is not slack concerning his promise, that eternal promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's why the sentence hasn't been executed yet. So saints, the ones that are rejecting and abiding in wrath, are you praying for them? When was the last time you shared your birth story in Christ? When was the last time? When was the last time you told that coworker about Jesus in your life? And with that family member that you love, that's so stubborn, that's still rejecting, I want nothing to do with Jesus, are you saying, I'm done, I give up? Or are you long-suffering? 1828 Webster's, y'all know by now, it's my favorite dictionary. I'm going to read the definition of long-suffering. Bearing injuries or provocation for a long time. Patient, not easily provoked. The Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness. Exodus 34, where the new tablets are given after they have the golden idol in Exodus 32. That's why I love that dictionary. It even gives you scripture to real read. Point you to the word. The reality of the duality. You're either abiding in grace or mercy or you're abiding in wrath. He's long-suffering. If you don't know Jesus here today, guess what? The verdict's already given and you're gonna receive that sentence unless you appeal to the one and only advocate that we have. 1 John 1, nine. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Come to the cross. He's there. Jesus is the only one that's going to help you not abide in wrath. And for us who's the believer, it's not the time to say, oh, well, I'm good, I'm, I'm saved. We still are gonna have sin in our lives and we need to continually repent and seek him. We saw last week, you must be born again. The savior must be lifted up. The servant must decrease. That's the close of John chapter three and it highlights a focus, John chapter three, the relationship with Jesus. Is your name in the book of life? Are you living in a relationship with him? If you are living in relationship with him, are you loving his love as part of the bride of Christ? Are you in submission to him? Do you love the chastening of your heavenly father? Do you embrace conviction? Are you learning from the one who has all authority? The only way to learn is in the word of God. Are you relishing his truth? Are you relishing his goodness? Jesus took all the hatred, took all the condemnation for you and me. What do you do with it? What are you doing with it? John 3 is about the relationship. 4, we're going to see as that turns the faith factor. But in John 3, Jesus is from heaven above all. Jesus has given witness of all he has seen and heard. Jesus has the Holy Spirit without limit. And through Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells in us and we have full access without limit. The Father loves the Son and put all into his hands. And God so loved the world that that son who has all authority can be our savior and Lord. Do you rest in that? Do you trust that? We possess everlasting life in Jesus. 
If you're rejecting, you're abiding right now in wrath. Australian theologian Leon Morris on this idea of wrath here. The wrath of God is a concept which is congenial to many modern students, and various devices are adopted to soften the expression or explain it away. This cannot be done, however, without doing great violence to many passages of Scripture and without distracting from God's moral character. Scottish theologian William Barclay on the same idea. It's not that God sends wrath upon him. It is that he brings that wrath upon himself. So the charge for this week, where are you with the one in whose hands all authority is given? For the non-believer here today, are you going to continue rejecting and abiding in wrath? The sentence is eternity in the lake of fire. Do you really want that? That's a fear-mongering. It's not a fear-mongering. It's just truth. That's just truth. For the believer here today, do you abide in him? Do you trust him? How is your trust with Jesus when you don't know the why or how of what's going on? Are you communing with the Holy Spirit? Are you learning from the word of God? And I ask again, is this enough alone? Some folks, somebody before service sent me a screenshot of their screen time. They're like, check out how much screen time I've got now. I'm like, awesome. I'm like, now the next thing. You got to wonder, how much time do you actually spend in the word of God or spend on things that are about the word of God? Because if you're spending more time on things that are about the word of God, I challenge you, get in the word more. This is the source to teach us. Now, today's communion Sunday. This is a special time to remember the one who has all authority the one who's given his life for you, given his life for me. To come to the table that we're going to come to, you have to have given him all. You believe, you receive, he's your king, he's in your heart, that's it. If that's you, great, come. Remember what he did for you. Now, if you're sitting here and that's not you, you can't say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Don't come to the table. Pray, we can talk, we can have a conversation. Don't just do it because, well, I don't, want my, I don't want my cousin to think I'm weird. I have to come up here, otherwise my cousin's gonna have a weird talk with me. We're talking about God, the God of creation. If he's not at the center of your life and you've surrendered to him, don't come to the table. And pray. Pray that you can possibly come to that place today to surrender. Now, before we come to the table, we're going to do something a little different, I think. And you come up here, good sir. Yeah, you. Um, <laughs> he just looked at me like, what are we doing? Um, one of the songs that was sang Friday was Revelation 5. And we're not going to sing the whole thing, but we're going to sing the chorus, which the words are, you are my God, you are my king, you are my master, my everything, you are my Lord, that's why I sing to you, hallelujah. I want us to sing this unto the Lord before we do communion because I want us to truly fix our eyes on him, to remember God, King, Master, everything. Everything's in his hands, but we need to put all of us, everything, that he is our everything. And he is Lord, and that's why we sing. If you struggle with worship, because I know it can be a hard thing. It's like, well, I don't want to sing. I don't want the person to hear me. I don't enjoy singing. Say this with all due love. It ain't about you. <laughs> I say it with all due love. Get over yourself. 
It ain't about you. Jesus died on the cross for you. You can't sing to him. He's your king. He's your savior. We worship because he is worthy of praise. We worship because he tells us to worship. So stop being disobedient and sing out to the Lord. And if you're tone deaf, he hears it in tune. He does. So we need to sing to our Savior and our King. We need to sing. So again, the words to this, you are my God, you are my King, you are my Master, my everything, you are my Lord, that's why I sing to you. Hallelujah. So we're going to sing this together a few times, and then the tables will be open, but when the tables are open, don't just rush. I always say this, take time to go in prayer to the King. You know, we're here, husband and wife, this morning, but we had a little bit of an issue last night. Why don't y'all talk it out before you come up? Go to your heavenly Father. Even if there's something with one of the brothers or sisters in this loving church, have a quick conversation before you come to the table that you can come having emptied yourself fully and that you can know, Lord, I'm telling you, you're my king, you're my God, master, everything, everything. So let's just sing this.